I learned a couple of things. One, how to manage a, if you're stuck in a situation with, with a bully, how, how to manage one from the ground up. Um, you know, I was second in the company and, you know, I won't spend a lot of time talking about this person, but one of the things I learned was, you know, these people that, that, that create toxic work environments, specifically toxic work, they're, they're very powerless, powerless, fearful, scared. In this case, men, it's not all men, it's women too, but in this case, he was a scared guy. And once I figured out what was really going on with him, which was all, all bark and, and, and very little bite, you know, I just learned how to take a problem that he would bring and complain and threaten and whatever about and just turn it back to him and turn it back to him. You know, when you look at a bully and you say, when you look at a powerless person and say, you know, hey, Eric, so, so what do you think we should do about that? When you take a leader by the hand and you just ask them, what are you going to do about it? When they're complaining about a problem or complaining, in this case, he always had a problem with my people. My people were never selling enough. You know, they were in customer facing positions on trucks. Supposed to be acting like professional sales reps. No wonder they weren't selling. We can go down that path. You know, I learned to manage him by putting the question back to him, which would typically lower the temperature. Welcome to the Rockstars Rocking Podcast, powered by Voluntary Disruption, a show dedicated to people who are crushing their business and life goals. These are bite-sized conversations with leading rock stars in their respective industry who are pumped to share their story to help drive you to the next level. So, are you ready to rock? Speaking of rock stars, here's your host, Eric Silverman. Hey, rock stars. Welcome back to another episode of Rock Stars Rockin'. I am excited to have a rock star uh, I tell you what, a rock star of all rock stars. I've been following this guy for a long time. Everybody welcome uh, and meet my good friend, Michael David Chapman, uh, founder of Lead In Social uh, out of the uh, New Hampshire area. Um, and Michael, I'm going to get right into it, man. First off, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. Uh, Michael, you have an interesting story. I would even I'd call it a journey, right? I don't know if you uh, describe it that way as well. I mean, we all have a journey in some re respect, but um, but your journey, I, I really find fascinating and I've been following it for quite a while. And uh, for those that don't know Michael, uh, and I don't know anybody that, that doesn't know you. I mean, my God, you have almost 300,000 followers on LinkedIn alone. Uh, I've got a poultry, uh, not even 30,000. Um, and I tell you what, um, uh, you get a lot of attention out there on the on LinkedIn, on, in the social media world. And to me, I'll tell, you, I'll tell everybody why I'm fascinating. I find your story to be very refreshing and very, um, you know, I think it's a buzzword overused these days is authentic, but it is authentic. I mean, you're just sharing what you've gone through in your life over the last many years. And uh, I believe that a lot of people can resonate to it, to be honest with you. Yeah, so, um, I didn't, I never planned on telling it. I, I just, so every now and again, uh, about twice a year since that time, I think, man, the stuff I talk about, you know, on LinkedIn, like in 2009, when I got back, when I got on the platform, I think it was like 2008, 2009, I was looking for a job. No one was sharing personal stories, right? I mean, you wouldn't, you didn't share personal stories in an interview, much less publicly for your ex coworkers or potential new coworkers to read. So it has been quite the experience for sure. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I was one of the questions I was going to ask you as we get into it. I was going to say, when did you really get into LinkedIn? And uh, be it that you just said 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn was really only a recruiting site, a, a job searcher site for what it's worth. Yeah, it was a great place to find a, a Forbes article or you know, <laughs> see some type of news update. I mean, they were still figuring it out. For me, you know, up from that eight, eight or nine year period up until about four four years ago last month, up until that point, it was just a place to find talent and look for position if I if I made a job change. Um, in August of, of 2017, I made a really, um, it took about a year and a half to make this decision, but I, I decided to walk away from a job uh, without a job, meaning I disclosed um, to the owner of the company that, hey, you know, I'm losing, I feel like I'm losing what's left of my family, specifically my four kids. Uh, I felt called to uh, leave or disclose that without looking for a position on his time. And it's interesting because at that point I had like three coaches. One of them was two were on the payroll. One wasn't put it that way. And one of them was a little bit more on the career side. So I say, you're, you know, you, you're crazy you know, on one sense, but you're, it's a pretty bold step. It just was this thing for me, what was all about slaying that fear of what I, what I, could I get rehired? You know, if I don't get a job before I leave a job, I won't get a job was what in its simplistic form. So I got back on LinkedIn to, to look for a position like most people do. I mean, where else do you go? Right. It's, you know, there's other job, job boards and job, search, you know, sites and stuff like that. But LinkedIn was a place for me. And uh, the rest is, you know, I started sharing my story. Uh, there's more to it, but that's the, that's the short story. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, that sounds like the quintessential uh, leap of faith, right? It's a leap of faith. You, uh, you went all out. You, 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 you threw caution to the wind and said, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, with respect to the the path you were looking to, to make. And, you know, I, I tell you, I have, and I, I suspect you do as well, I have a lot of connections and friends and even family that would love to uh, take that leap of faith, but have never done it. They have never, um, they've never, uh, uh, they would never even dare to do it just based on the fact that they got so many uh, bills and expenses and what they would deem priorities. But, um but they've said to me many times, you know, uh, I'm losing my family. I, I, I think I might have to get a divorce or my kids this or my kids that. And I feel bad because I can't be there for them. And, you know, I said it yesterday um, uh, in a conversation I had, but life is always about choices. You have to choose uh, what makes the best sense for where you're at in your journey. And you did that. So can, can we unpack that a little bit? So it's August of 2017. Um, and uh, I mean, you clearly have it stated right there on your LinkedIn for anybody that wants to read it. But uh, I'd love to hear it from your own words. It's August of 2017. And, and things aren't going well. Um, take it from there. Well, I was working, you know, we had moved when it was still a we. It was a we in 2013 when we moved here. So for almost five years, actually five years to the day, but up until that point it was like, you know, four years and about eight, nine months. I was I was in a very, very toxic work relationship. And so people will say all the time, if you listen to, you know, and, and this makes sense, you know, and I had done this earlier in my career. <clears throat> you know, if you're in a toxic work relationship, you know, leave. And I completely get that and support that for me at the time, um, because at the same time I was going through that, I was going through a painful divorce. 
And that was tough to, to, you know, if you know anybody that's been through that or you've been through that or anyone listening has been through that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I didn't feel, I wasn't confident that I could sit through an interview and really perhaps not just project my best abilities, you know, and, and I'd gotten good results in, in previous positions, but more importantly, I didn't want to take any of the stuff I was still going through in my personal life into my next role. So I sort of white knuckled, you know, sucked it up and, and figured out a way for the, like the, the two years before I left that company, how to manage this guy, how to manage a toxic boss taught me a lot. And you talk about steps of faith. That's probably the, the, the larger story because I've never really unpacked that. But, you know, when I got to the summer of 17, you know, I was doing a lot of just soul searching. I was on my knees a lot, <laughs> you know, like I've got to leave this place. And, you know, I was, I was a non-degree professional over the age of 40, really in a geography where the kind of work that I do, I didn't see a lot of opportunity at the time. And, you know, I never planned on being an entrepreneur. It was always going to be, you know, quit and find something else. And so the, the, the final sort of straw was when, you know, I was mentor, I was being mentored by some really solid men who were helping me. One was, you know, a couple of coaches and one was a mentor. And I'll never forget, you know, my, one of my good mentors, we were, we were golfing and I was on the 15th green, you know, we had just sunk our putts or whatnot. I mean, he just grabbed me by the, he'd listened to me the whole around him and Han about everything bad that was going to happen and no one's going to hire me and I'm divorced and I got four kids and just all the stuff that you, you do. I'm not, I'm not, you know, for anyone going through that, I get it, but he just grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, you know, he just finally looked at me and said, just effing leave. And, you know, it was, you know, this was at the end of him saying, look, you know, don't worry about that. You don't worry about what you have in your checking account or your savings or your reserves or any of that. Just leave, you know, you know, like God's got you. And so I had a few more affirmations early that week because it was coming out of a Saturday round of golf early that week. And uh, the next week I had prepared, you know, some notes and went into to the owner's office and just bared my soul and said, listen, I, I want to be closer to my kids. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, I was able because of that, you know, God honored that. You know, I was able to negotiate. I mean, the owner, as toxic as the relationship was, something like, the skies opened up and I was able to negotiate a four month runway Whoa. to stay from August of 17 until the end of the year. So that decision, and again, I'm not, you know, everybody's journey is different, but I'm saying for me, I, I worked from home from August of 17 until the end of that year, looking for a job. I, I never found one. That's a separate conversation, but that's basically how the story story goes, how it went. So um, you, you said a lot there. I mean, uh, first off, let's talk about, you know, a toxic work relationship. What did you learn from dealing with your personal yeah. toxic work relationship um, and the epiphany you had and, and you leaving and giving your notice and all that stuff? What did you learn? Maybe one or two things that you may be able to share with somebody listening, because there's no doubt people listening or watching here on yeah. YouTube that that are going through the same exact thing right now. You know, really, when, you, when you're in a situation, you know, I'll, I'll back up a bit. A lot of people will say, just leave, just leave, just leave. And, and, you know, a lot of times there's there's a little bit of, and yeah, just leave. I get that. At the same time, it's not always that one dimensional. Sometimes people are in situations where they can't see themselves out of it. There are no other jobs. They're in geographies or they're, they're, they've pigeonholed themselves 12 years into their career. You name it. They don't feel like they can leave. They don't understand. They've over leveraged themselves with debt. 
they they don't they can't look at their debt situation or whatever their obligation say you know what if it doesn't get paid that's fine i'm not living here anymore it takes a while for people to get to that point it took me longer because again i was so preoccupied with what was what was going on at home <laughs> you know and that was pretty obvious to everybody at work i mean i was pretty much taxed by that i learned a couple of things one how to manage a, if you're stuck in a situation with with a bully how, how to manage one from the ground up um, you know, I was second in the company and, you know, I won't spend a lot of time talking about this person, but one of the things I learned was, you know, these people that, that, that create toxic work environments, specifically toxic work, they're, they're very powerless, powerless, fearful, scared, in this case, men, it's not all men, it's women too, but in this case, he was a scared guy. And once I figured out what was really going on with him, which was all, all bark and, and, and very little bite. You know, I just learned how to take a problem that he would bring and complain and threaten and whatever about and just turn it back to him and turn it back to him. You know, when you look at a bully and you say, when you look at a powerless person and say, you know, hey, Eric, so so what do you think we should do about that? When you take a leader by the hand and you just ask them, well, what are you going to do about it when they're complaining about a problem or complaining? In this case, he always had a problem with my people. My people were never selling enough. You know, they were in customer facing positions on trucks. Supposed to be acting like professional sales reps. No wonder they weren't selling. We can go down that path. You know, I learned to manage him by putting the question back to him, which would typically lower the temperature. The other thing I would say is, you know, sometimes we're in situations. Um, I learned a lot about me because some of his stuff I had. Not to that extreme, but some of the judgment, some of the jealousy, some of the anger, some of the guilt, you know, all these sort of what we might call the enemies of the heart. He was a reflection of some of mine. So I learned how to manage him. I learned how to call his BS and, and lower the temperature in meetings and lower the temperature in work situations, which was a tax because it would tax me. But I also used the relationship to help me see where I had some of those issues. And so in between the meetings and in between the toxic situations, I had a long drive from New Bedford, Massachusetts, back to New Hampshire. It's about two hours. I had a lot of time to think about how to manage him. But also, you know, that whole thing of like we see in people, not always, but we see in people what we see in ourselves. And so I had that. Think about that. I had that two hour commute every day. To reflect, not every day, most days. So, so I learned so, a lot about me. So in, in some respect, as you said, I mean. It, you were it was like looking in a mirror in some capacity some to some extent and yeah. you know, I guess the the question is do you feel like um you were talking to yourself a little bit um and that was kind of leading up to what you ended up doing in in 2017 with respect to leaving like you were kind of giving yourself that pep talk in some way Th that that and that you know again like the the recognition that you know is best you know you can you can be as you can be as mentored as you can be mentored by the best career coaches on the planet on how to interview the right kind of boss i finally got to a point where listen there are no guarantees except for there are no guarantees that's probably the only guarantee and that the longer that I waited, you know i just got to a point where the longer that i waited and the longer that i waited and that's why i got help i had people helping me help and encourage me the longer that I waited the more I was kicking the can of that reality there are no guarantees I could interview like a rock star 
for some for some company. And I don't mean like me. I mean like interviewing them. If I ever go back, to, I work for myself now. If I ever work for another company, I, I, they can interview me. But I'm, I promise you, I'm interviewing them. Sure. Two two to three x because that where I spend my time is is really critical, and it should be for everyone. I just realized that I, I needed to get over that and accept that um, it could be worse, but that, you know, I'd be okay. I, I made it this far. You know, the lights are still on. We still have a good life and we do on this side of all of that sort of disappointment, we would be okay. So are, are you sure that in, um, when you were at Georgia state studying business administration, you sure you didn't study psychology because it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about was you trying on those drives back and forth to psychologically figure out how you were going to approach your toxic relationship with your boss, um, to figure out how to get into his mind, uh, maybe even some reverse psychology. And quite frankly, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of everything that we do in life is psychology, whether we know it or not. I mean, you know that. When I, when I was going through, I wouldn't say I did take one class, maybe two, I think one class, uh, but no, I can't say that I studied it. Uh, I went through a, a pretty, uh, say thick and, and um, detailed journey during my, my second breakup to okay. really understand one, to do what I could do around any reconciliation, but in tandem with that really get clear on just maybe how messed up I was on the inside around fear, some codependency, some dominant stuff, you know, other things. And so I, I did a lot of reading with specific authors, pastors, podcasts, um, and then in the in the non-digital space, like like, you know, I had I had some men in my life. I had, the reason I brought men into my life, I keep I kind of highlight that is I lived for four decades without really any strong male leadership in my life. I mean, it took me to get to age 40 to realize that, man, I had lived, I'd done well financially and done well in leadership, but I had somehow figured out a way outside of like work circles to sort of isolate myself. It was like me, my wife and kids, me. And yeah, I had friends, but nobody, nobody was in on the inside. I was not, I wasn't trusting of that. And that came from growing up, you know, without one, without a father. And I just didn't trust men. You know, beyond what I had to at work, you know, at work, you know, you, you know, you're my boss. Okay, Eric. Okay, whatever. And then it's, it's shallow and maybe it got a little de deeper than that. But, you know, I've learned to say from my own journey that an isolated leader is, is a dangerous one in many ways. And outside of work, I was really, I was isolated. And so I saw a lot of that toxicity, you know, that I was seeing at work. I'd see some of it in my personal life. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say I, was, I went on a path of psychology. I would just say, like, I wanted to understand. I wanted to come through a second divorce and have a, something better than a clue on how I got there. So I, so I didn't return there. So, so let's talk about that for a second, right? You, uh, and I want to talk about your, um, your, uh, uh, you being an advocate and a champion for, for men and, and, and to help other men uh, based on how you've been helped and, and, and what you've gone through. But, you know, you, you have it right there um, on your LinkedIn profile, you, you know, a painful second divorce, uh, loss of a child, in fact, uh, multiple job losses. Uh, uh, you walked away from that toxic work environment, uh, father of four, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
I guess, you know, and, and, and dare my bold question, I don't know how bold it is, but, you know, I'm curious, uh, to be honest with you, <clears throat> a lot of folks in your situation may have turned to um, alcohol dependency or even drugs over the years. Um, did that ever occur? Did that ever happen? Um, did that ever cross your mind? Is, are, are you that type of person? Because uh, I know a lot of people listening are probably dealing with that as well. Yeah, it's on both sides of my family. Both of both. Uh, I never met my grandfathers. Alcoholism took my mom's dad with uh, with cirrhosis. I, th I think when I was four. I don't really remember anything. And then my my first or my 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 father's father passed away when he was fifteen from some type of alcohol related thing. My dad's an alcoholic. Um, I saw it everywhere. Um, the short answer is, yeah, it touched my life. I mean, it, when I was, you know, in 2014, that summer, yeah, I, I turned to it for sure, 100%. I mean, because at that point, you know, I had lived like sort of this, like, I don't know if it's a lie, but it's maybe this deception people do, especially if they in families with alcohol, you know, and they're, they're like, you know, I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm not going to be like my dad. Right. And they become a social drinker and they don't really have the problem that they saw their parents have, you know, 10 o'clock drunks and, you know, losing time and just all kind of stuff, you know, that's that, that, that slow deception started to creep. Cause because when loss happens, when accumulated unresolved losses, which is basically what I had in a 10 year period, you know, show up in your life. It's it, the slide to more and more medication is, is real. So, um, did, uh, so you, you fell to it more in 2014, mm -hmm. uh, that time frame roughly, what, um, uh, how are you these days, you're 2021 and, and, you know, assuming you're, you're good. And I believe you are, how did you get out of it? How did you move out of it? I just, I mean, I, it's the craziest story. Like, I mean, I quit coffee, alcohol and cigarettes all on the same weekend. Wait in one weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a, I'm You're a glutton a, for punishment. I'm a bit of a, well, I, I got to the point where I just, you know, I found myself continuing to do the same thing, the same thing and realizing that all that I had learned, I was isolated hmm. again. You know, it's, it's the thing, this thing where like, ah, you know, you ever heard this before? Like, we don't, we don't need any more knowledge. Like you think about it, if you look at your life, I look at mine, like, I don't need any more knowledge. That's not an arrogant statement. I need more, like, yeah, can I learn some other things? Sure. But like, where is the application of the knowledge that I have was where I was on that one. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've really spent a weekend. I was watching, actually, the catalyst was I was watching, um, I'm a documentary, just complete dork. I was just, I don't know what clicked, man. I was watching these documentaries of these people that had lost limbs people that had gone through the Holocaust. I mean, I did like a, a weekend binge after a hang, like, you know, a heavy night and I just, something clicked. And I was like, you know, it was, it was a, you know, I felt, felt like God was saying like, what else? You don't have anything to be depressed about. You've come through this thing. You've come through a decade of loss on the heels of, you know, all these challenges as, as a child. What do you, you know, Look at you, look at what you have upstairs and downstairs. And it was my kids, you know, and that was, yeah. that was the turning point. And I just, I never look back. So let, let's get back to, um, 
like I said a minute ago, uh, you being such a big advocate and champion for men and quite candidly, I mean, I've been following you for a while, but uh, I think it was some posts that you made on on social media, on LinkedIn specifically, um, over the last many months that really draw my drew my attention, quite frankly, just to kind of give you some positive, good feedback. I mean, you post great stuff, don't get me wrong, but to me personally, and I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I doubt it. Um, when you started posting about, um, and again, I just use the term champion and advocate for men. Uh, when you started posting in that realm, that caught my attention. And, and really, I'll tell you why. For me, it's just simply because of, you know, the the environment that we live in and as, as a society over the last uh, forever, for sure, but definitely over the last few years, where, um, you know, men are, uh, uh, I don't want to call them the victim, but men are out there being trashed in the media more than ever. Um, and, uh, you know, women's rights issues, et cetera. And I'm all for it. I have a, a teenage daughter and a wife happily married, but at the same token, um, I think there needs to be some type of counterbalance and it can't just be one-sided to make it even for years past. That's my opinion. I don't know what you would say. Well, I think true feminists want, what we've seen in, in mainstream media isn't true feminism in terms of, you know, where that comes from, you know, the things around, you know, you talk about like what happened with Harvey Weinstein and me too. And all right. that. I mean, sure. legitimate, legitimate needs to call out and arrest, incarcerate, you know, discipline, whatever word you want to use men who are, you know, out abusing women in those ways has been somehow, um, and, and I think it's been called out. I mean, true feminism has called it out. Sure. The, the, the people that have used, and I'm not going to throw names out because I'm really not up on it, um, but have used those movements as power, power grabs in situations that, that are not Harvey Weinstein situation. I mean, I think we're, for me, and at least what I teach my kids here and, and, and the people that I, that I, I, you know, circles I run in, you know, are, are keen on that. All right. But, you know, how, do, how did we get there is the real question. How do we get there? And what, what, what do our men need, need to know now? You know, what does it mean to, you know, where do you, where do you learn about, you know, being responsible. And, and like you, you said, you're happily married, you know, getting and staying married and, you know, really having an open conversation on, you know, the, one of the biggest challenges we're facing in this country isn't anything this administration or the previous administrations have said it's, it's what's, what we're, we, what we are doing and not doing in our homes to, to raise responsible men and women and, and, and fatherlessness. I mean, let's be fair. There's more fatherlessness than there is motherlessness in this home, in this, in this world specifically in this country. And so yeah. if I can, if I can take, you know, the fatherlessness that, that touched, you know, my dad's side for sure, not so much my mother's side, but touched me and my brother's life um, that almost won the battle in terms of that being passed on to me and my generation, specifically my kids. I mean, I'm, my, my kids are, with me full-time basically i mean two full-time and two of the half the time and have a great working relationship with my son's mother you know that's not the ideal situation but they're they're here you know i'm, I'm involved you know if i can do take something to help men be better than what i saw or didn't see that's that's to me that just makes i always say like wisdom wisdom that wisdom and experience that sits on the shelf just collects dust it, at some point you lose it if you, if you don't and I don't mean out there pontificating, 
Okay. Sometimes I think some of my content can come off like that. I think we all sort of battle that maybe. Um, but really behind the scenes, it's what happens off the post. It's what happens, you know, at Starbucks, unfortunately with face masks on, listening to a guy tell a story and all of a sudden the tears start going because now for the first time he's, sat, he's sitting across from another guy who's been there, who's seen that, whatever the challenges are. I mean, I'm all, I'm, I don't know how involved you are, but I've heard all kinds of horrific stories from men, mainly men, some women, but mainly men on what they went through growing up. And so if I can give back, that's, that's great. Yeah, I mean, um, don't get me wrong, it's more than a quote unquote few, but it, it kind of reminds me of the old saying, the old adage, you know, uh, don't let a few uh, apples ruin the bunch or a few Sorry. rotten eggs ruin the dozen. I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, I don't believe we're talking about the mass majority. It just happens to be the center of attention and grabs the focus, uh, particularly of mainstream media. And right. so I agree uh, with what you talked about. Um, and, and I think that it, it, you tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like you becoming a champion and advocate for men is because you've had some positive influential men in your life that has helped you so, uh, so massively uh, as you were going through the challenges in 2014, 15, all the way through 17, when you uh, took that leap of faith. Uh, would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, is for me, and I, I think it affects everybody differently, but for me, it just, it wasn't like this click. It just something to me, you know, when I was getting, when I was going through that time, this is before I was on social media. I had, I had these, for two years straight, I just had these wonderful people. It was men and women, you know, my divorce care group that I went through with was mainly women. I mean, you're talking about like, I'm sitting there, whatever, I'm, I'm early forties and I'm sitting there listening to women who are in their sixties, 30 years of marriage and boom, take guy walks away, takes everything. Mm. Um, and, and that's a mild example. When you're sitting there listening to, and it was mainly women, there was men too, people just pour their hearts out week after week as you're sitting there, don't get me wrong, feeling sorry for yourself, but like trying to relate to them and share your story and, you know, let your edge meet theirs and you, you're ministering to their hearts when they're doing the same with you and this kind of thing. Um, you sort of, you start to realize like, man, I, I'm okay, you know, 30 years wakes up and finds out that, you know, their spouse has decided that they want to be in a same-sex relationship. And that's, that is traumatic for someone to go through 30 years of deception. And, and I heard worse stories than that abuse, all kinds of things. So that, that really, that pushed me, maybe it pulled me, Eric, I don't know if it's a push, but that pulled me into, you know, and that's where the writing started. You know, when I started doing the writing, I never planned to work with men. I just, I just, my, my therapist at the time was teaching me how to grieve and grieve all of my losses. And it came through the writing. So talk about that. Cause you, you said you've written more than 2000 journals about your life and losses and, and, and so forth. Um, you know, have you always been a, a quote unquote writer? Have you always been into writing uh, as a kid growing up? Did you all of a sudden just start putting pen to paper and the rest was history? Like how'd that, how'd that happen? Well, it was, it was up to two, it was it, up until 2017, it was about 2000, somewhere just over 2000, but since then it's over, it's, it's over about 8,500, which includes voice, voice notes because I do it every day. Uh, no, I'm not a writer. And like, you know, I can't write very good. 
on a piece of paper. So I could, I could have, without a phone or audio transcription, transcription device or anything, like, I could have probably would have never done it. If it was just like pen and paper, pencil, I would have probably never done it. Um, no, nah, it came from that summer. You know, I was, I was in a, in a, in a session with, we were doing, we were doing marital counseling together and then we were doing individual counseling. So this poor therapist saw, you know, saw the, the Chapman clan three times a week. It's insane. Um, it, it, it really was this thing. Um, one day I was in a session with, with her, the therapist, and she asked me, you know, my father's still alive, but she, you know, we were just talking about my dad and I was probably feeding her some line that, you know, I'd sold myself that, you know, I'm healed when I'm probably not. And who knows, probably some nonsense. And she, you know, she was the kind that could listen for about 40, 48 minutes towards the end and then say like one question and the, you know, the sky would open up, you know, with like thoughts and sure. knowledge and whatever. And she said to me, this was in the summer. She said, you know, have you ever grieved the loss of your father? You know, he's still alive. And she meant, you know, the loss of the father you didn't have. And I was like, yeah, I, I you know, and I, when I was 23, I saw an Oprah episode and learned from probably Dr. Phil or somebody to sit down, you know, a, a teddy bear in a chair and, and, and talk to your loved one or loss, whatever, and, and do the forgiveness thing. Because he, he's been a drunk. I mean, right now he's down in a hospital with dementia, but he, he would have been drunk back then. I probably had six or seven total conversations with the guy that, where he was sober. And I said, I did that. And, and she stopped me. She said, no, have you ever grieved the loss of your father with, with your heavenly father? And she was talking about God. And when she said that sort of my, 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 you know, a veil came down and, and I realized, and she took me on a path and taught me how to do that through writing, which was really to model what David did in the Psalms. And if you read the Psalm, it's pretty, pretty hard to read it with an open mind and realize this guy was pouring his heart out. He was complaining. He was cheering. He was doing everything under the sun towards what he believed was his father. And she, she taught me how to do that. And that's where it started. I started writing. Every, I've written every day since then. So, so Michael, when's your first book coming out? <laughs> well, I started and I wrote about three chapters and um, I quit. I quit. I shouldn't say quit. I put a comma on it two years ago um because yes exactly some of the stuff was you know i just decided like some of it was hey i don't really want to do it some of that's part of that but i think for a more tactical reason some of the stuff that that i, that I wrote about is still was still playing out um and i just haven't picked it back up i haven't you know i still write but it, it's just I, I let it i'm sort of doing it like um i'm doing it like sort of in the, in the public space or podcasts like this or whatever in bits and pieces. And at some point I'm sure it, it'll click, but there's enough, there's enough copy there. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like for you, it's more cathartic as well. It's more, uh, it's a, it's a release. It's, it's, um, it's uh, spiritual for you. It's really, it's really about, it's the one thing that I teach men to do is, is, you know, because I'm, 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 I have strong opinions and I, I have what most people have. I'm pretty normal, but I, the writing is really more about really examining what's going on on the inside. Because if it's an ugly thing that comes out on the digital note, I'm, it's staring me back at the face. And I'm, I'm really interested in understanding 
is there something going on in me that's affecting something on the outside? And if so, I want to understand that and shore that up. That's it's still that guy that's using what she taught me to shore up what's going on inside of me and to keep that part of me, not perfect because no one is, but clean, cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in our, in our last handful or so of minutes, uh, and I'm not rushing you, I want to get into how you, uh, how you parlayed, all that you've been going through over those years and, mm-hmm. and the divorce and, and the uh, toxic relationship with your boss and all that stuff you already described, how you parlayed that into uh, sales training and brand training and social media coaching and, and uh, really how you uh, parlayed it into creating uh, and co-founding uh, lead-in social. Uh, maybe walk us through that because you didn't do that very long after uh, the August 2017 um, uh, epiphany. Yeah, I mean, it first started with, you know, the sales coaching, a good friend of mine in Australia, Rana Cordai, he, her and I, you know, became friends on LinkedIn in late 2017. She is a sales, I mean, she, among other things, she's a sales coach. She's got so many courses that she does to help businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, we just became like LinkedIn friends and, you know, she was looking to co-brand. Um, I was already out putting videos. She was looking to co-brand uh, sales for non-salespeople, a curriculum that she had written. She was looking for like a, a, a co-partner to brand it. And so we became friends um, and, and we just, we, we put it out there as a course we did together. It's, it's 30 days of, of sales content. How did I get into it? You know, when I left UPS in, in, in early 2000, I realized like when I went into B2B sales, like I, I was pretty good at it. You know, I could, I could go make friends. I could have conversations and do some of the basics that I had learned to do in operations at UPS. I mean, it's the same transferable skill to stand up in front of a group of 400 people and lead them, convince them to, to, to you know, influence them to do something uh, in, a, in, in a heavily organized labor environment that they probably don't want to do. It's the same transferable skill to do that than it would be to sit, you know, across the walk into someone's front door. So I got into B2B sales and I did that until really I left the company in 2017 uh, in the uniform rental industry. I, I did a couple of changes. I, I got out of the industry a couple of times, but um, I just took that into that relationship with her and we put together the course. It's a 30 day online course. That was one, I was doing the side hustle thing. That was one of these things. Cause I just, I kept saying no to positions. I, I probably got, you know, 10 or 15 opportunities. Most of it was to relocate or to travel uh, from 2017 until the spring of 18. And I just, I kept saying no, because my why was, listen, I gotta be near my kids you know, geographically and emotionally. So if I felt like it was going to be toxic or I felt like I was going to have to move, I was just saying no. So she was, that was one of those things that I did uh, to get off the ground to have another stream of, of revenue. Um, at the same time, I was just, I was putting out content two, three times a day and I was, I was just growing the things I was talking about. You know, men would knock on my door, my digital door and say, hey, you know, I read your post about this, you know, I'd love to talk to you about it. And at some point I was like, you know, some of this I'll do as purpose work, but some of this I could monetize um, because I could see, I, you know, I'm a pretty much, when you work, when I work with you, I'm a, I mean, we get right to the problem pretty quick and we move pretty quickly through, you know, where you are and where you want to be. And, and that's just the way, way I've been my whole career, but in a, as a coach for sure. But I kept doing the writing. I kept doing the writing. I kept doing the writing. And so I was coaching people and showing people how to, how to, how to, how to use the platform in, in very sparse ways. Um, towards the end of 2018. Um, and I had gotten another position. I'd gotten an individual contributor role that kept me at home to, to sustain me trying to get this thing off the ground, get this thing off the ground. 
in late 2018, that's when I met Sonia Somaske, who had started a business the year before helping people do direct direct messaging outreach. She started the business with like no business experience um, to really provide a non-bot driven you know, experience for, for people on LinkedIn. Uh, and that next year, we just, you know, we, we became friends and we put those two business models together where now we do direct messaging outreach for people that don't have the time to do it, but they don't, they don't want the bot thing. They want like a human being doing the messaging for them, as well as create, co-create branded content and post it and drive engagement to it. So that was never a plan. It was never a plan. It was just, it was one of those things where you, you realize you have skills and you're using them in a public space or you're using them in a space that you probably haven't used and, and the opportunity just finds you. I mean, I, I, I find a lot of times often, you know, the best things are not planned. Some, uh, I don't know, in my opinion, some, yeah. you just kind of, you just do, right? The, the right. journey is going to be what the journey is. And, and I talk about it all the time. Uh, the journey is more often, in my opinion, uh, more fun and better than the destination. How many times have, uh, uh, you can think about even a vacation where you, you pump it up in your mind to get to the, to the destination and you realize the journey with the family and the, the stories at the airports and the, you know, joking and people watching it at the airport. Yeah. I mean, that was probably more of a story than even when you get to the, right. to the beach and it happens to be raining all day. So, I mean, yeah, the journey to me is a good thing. So, um, so as we uh, wrap up, let me ask you, what's the difference between a, a manager and a leader? Cause you talked about having a toxic uh, relationship with your manager, certainly in my opinion, didn't sound like a, a leader. So how would you define them both? I mean, without, I mean, most of us have read this stuff from, 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 from all the leadership gurus from Peter Drucker to Jim Collins, right. whatever. I mean, for me, you know, and I'll use that relationship as, 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 a, as an example, he was more interested in managing. He was, he thought managing the, he genuinely believed that if you, if you had a great process and you manage the process that that would lead the person. And it just, it, in some cases that's going to, that's going to work. But when you have in the person or a group of persons, fears, trepidations, they don't all learn the same. They don't understand. And then you have a culture where it's not safe to ask dumb questions. It's not safe to show weakness. It's not safe to show, maybe not weakness, not, it's not safe to show you don't understand. People are going to lie. People are not going to disclose. They're going to hide, maybe not lie. They're going to hide their because they want to keep their job or they don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want their peer pressure. And so that was what was always happening. When I joined the company, I broke that because I didn't have a problem getting out in the field with a sales rep or a route guy or a manager as route guy. That's just what I had done prior to meeting and coming to that position. And that, that made that relationship more, um, for me, it was intuitive. I mean, get in the field with your people, see what's going on in the hood and, right. you know, help them find their happiness elsewhere or give them what they need to be happy here, whatever. Um, that made him, that, that's not that, that made that in, the relationship insecure for, for four and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned earlier that you're a big reader. I know you're a big writer, but you're also a big reader. Um, are there any, uh, maybe one or two or three books that uh, folks listening or watching should write down and, and go uh, read immediately or audio uh, audible read if they're a, a listener like I am? I always recommend this one because it's, it's what I use in my practice, but it's, it's keep your love on by Danny Silk. 
That's a book. That what is it again? Keep Your Love On? Keep Your Love On by Danny So I love everything he writes. Um, you know, that book is, you know, when it comes to relationships, there's a lot of stuff that people just don't know that's in that book. It really teaches you what it means to take personal accountability and responsibility around your own power on the inside. It's a book you'd want to put in your kid's hands before they're 15, for sure. You want to bribe them. Okay. Because it's really about, you know, and, and the reason that had such a profound impact on me is because I didn't see that stuff. I didn't see in, you know, my mother was a terrific mother, but I didn't see male and female relationships play out in front of me. And so, and again, that you can say that till you're about 14 after about 14, it's just an excuse. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you get into your twenties and mid twenties and you're getting married and you're having kids and you're doing life, uh, and you don't have those skills to manage conflict and take personal accountability and let people change when they're ready to change and, you know, communicate honest information. First off, understand what's going on inside of you and then be able to articulate in a meaningful way to create a connection and not instead of what he talked about is distance. That book, that, that book is, is the answer for that. Awesome. I love it. You read it in a week. You'll read it in a weekend. You won't want to put it down, especially if you're in, if you're in a relationship, there's any relationship stuff going on in your life, moderately. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a call to action for sure. All right. I like it. Well, listen, um, Michael, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a blast getting to know you more. Uh, you know, I feel like I, I know you just over the, the years that I've been following you, but certainly not all the details that you, that you talked about today. Um, for those folks that are listening that have a question or comment or, or want to reach out to you, I know, you know you're super social. So uh, go find uh, Michael David Chapman on LinkedIn. It's not hard to find uh, and join the, uh, the hundreds of thousands of followers that are already uh, in the know. Um, and uh, I believe the website for your, uh, for your company is, is it's just leadinsocial.com, correct? Leadinsocial.com. Right. Yeah, leadinsocial.com to check out more. And uh, Michael's super social. I mean, I, I never met the guy. I never really talked to him. And we just had a quick little direct message conversation on LinkedIn. And over the months, we've just kind of chatted here and there. And, you know, I, I don't feel unique or special. I'm sure you do that with a lot of people, which is good. That's a good thing. I want people to realize that you're a human being. As you said, you're not a bot. Everybody behind those numbers are, are just people. I'm exactly. a big voice texter too, so, you know. There you go. There you go. And I, and we'll end with, uh, I love your words of wisdom right there on your profile where, uh, Michael says the, the heart can be fickle. Mm -hmm. So don't follow it, lead it. So with that, I appreciate you coming on, Michael. Uh, for anybody that wants to reach out, please do so directly to Michael. If you have questions, comments, thoughts, please put them in the comment section below, wherever you're watching or listening to this on social media or wherever you consume podcasts. Um, it takes a village, right? That's the... Uh, that's the term out there. And I can't do all this on my own. So everybody behind for everybody behind the scenes at the Rockstars Rockin' podcast, uh, I appreciate everybody listening today. I'm Eric Silverman. That is Michael David Chapman. And uh, you've just watched or listened to another episode of Rockstars Rockin'. Until next week, we'll see you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Rockstars Rockin' podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. Five stars would totally rock. Until next time, rock stars, keep rocking.